Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G. I'm honored to present the first Wednesday night Dharma talk of the new year. So I'd like to talk a little bit tonight about uh, something of the history of our practice and its meaning and its expression in, in our everyday life. Um, there's a very thoughtful story in, uh, in, Zen, in the history of Zen. And this story reveals the, the true nature of our uh, traditional practice. It concerns the nun whose name was Chiono. And she uh, was, in, uh, is in, was in 13th century Japan. Uh, Ch 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 Chiono uh, was a very simple person, a peasant girl. She was not trained. She didn't go to school. She was illiterate. And she had no particular skills. Yet, uh, early in her life, she became very dedicated to the practice. And she managed to be accepted in a convent to work as a servant. And... Uh, she wasn't ordained at the time or anything like that. She simply worked and she studied for years. She studied at the monks, did, but in, in, in her own quarters, she studied and tried for years, but she wasn't able to find any kind of uh, warm feeling or enlightenment or breakthrough or understanding. And she was quite disappointed in, uh, all the years that she had practiced hard and was still struggling. So one night, as part of her, her work, she took a pail and went down to the river to get a bucket of water. And while returning up the path to the temple, she was thinking about the moon that was reflected in the pail. And suddenly, the bamboo strips that held the pail together broke. They just split. And so the, the pail immediately fell apart and the water rushed out. When the moon's reflection vanished, Chiono became enlightened. She later, or soon thereafter, she wrote a, a poem about this experience. And she said in her poem, with this way and with that way, I tried to keep the bucket together, hoping that the weak bamboo would never break. Suddenly the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. Emptiness in my hand. Later, she wrote, 
with this practice as my companion, I have only to go about my daily life practicing day and night. Shiono became, uh, was eventually ordained and became very well respected. She was the very first Japanese woman to receive Dharma transmission. And she became the founder of the first Zen Buddhist convent in Japan. This is a story about truly seeing things as they are. And it's also about how the bucket must be broken. It's about how when we keep our mind in a bucket, the mind becomes constrained and we create a very narrow view of our life. So what Chiono was saying in her writings, our practice is about letting the bucket break. So our practice is to appreciate the water itself without speculating about the bucket. And in that way, we can let the water fill the whole universe and not keep it constrained. Then the mind has no limits. So our practice is to break the bucket, to let go of discrimination, to give up trying to understand our life by analyzing and scheming, by going this way and that way constantly. When Shiono says, with this way and with that way, she is admitting and she is recognizing that she has been trying to keep her life together by depending on thinking to understand her life. Her mind was kept in a bucket and her life was kept in a bucket. So when we are thirsty and we are given a glass of water, we don't stop to measure the quantity of the water in the glass before we drink. We drink immediately without thinking and we are not concerned with this way or that way. It's only by drinking the water will we understand the nature of the water. But if I spend my life measuring how much water is there in this cup? Or thinking, how can I get more water? That's when we don't understand the nature of water and we don't appreciate our life. We are all conditioned to keep our bucket from falling to pieces. It is the role we play in life and in society. We have to keep it together, you know? But sometimes it's necessary to stop patching things together. Our, our practice is 
about experiencing each thing just as it is. If we can do that, we can experience all things without containers, without buckets, without keeping things in buckets. Then our understanding becomes limitless, like Shiono's. So when we drink water, we just drink water. And then we know the true nature of water. So if we try to understand water by thinking about it, we cannot. We cannot understand water by thinking about what is this thing I'm drinking? So Chiona gave up this way and that way. With Zazen practice, we can experience life directly, one thing at a time. We can allow each single experience to include the entire world without constraints, without putting them in buckets. The entire universe is an expression of one thing now. Just as drinking water when we're thirsty, we know the nature of water at that moment. This is the only way to understand the true nature of everything. And this is the point of our practice, to experience each thing and each moment fully. It's easy to accept some idea about the unity of all things. So many people like to say, all things are one, or we are not separate. And these are very popular ideas in the, in the Zen world. But we have to go beyond ideas of the way things are. We have to experience the way things are. In other words, our practice must go beyond the intellect. Our practice must break the bucket. Our practice is about appreciating each individual thing or activity and treat each thing one at a time according to its nature and the situation. But we have to do it in person. We can't do it virtually. And I think that's what we do in our lives. You know, when we say virtually, we mean how, how lucky we are, or it's a very advantageous to be able to meet with each other when, when there's a distance between us and we can't be together in person, just like tonight. To meet virtually, as we say, is a good thing. But these days, in our every life, we, as individuals, risk becoming more and more virtual. 
even when we are in close proximity. And in a way, this is what our practice is telling us. This is what the teaching is telling us. Our practice can teach us how to keep our life real and avoid becoming virtual. So for the mind to be free and unlimited and unconstrained, the bucket has to break. We have to let go. We don't need to carry anything. We don't need to carry the moon in a bucket. The only thing we need to carry is the experience of this moment. So I remember when most of you were not around, but I was when Zen came to the US in the early 1960s. A very exciting time in San Francisco and other places. And we all, we read all of the literature that was available. And we were very excited about the possibility of gaining this thing called enlightenment. It promised wisdom, and freedom, and happiness, and a trouble-free life. The literature contained many stories about Zen monks gaining enlightenment, and there have been a number of books about it. And we wanted that. You know, we have the Blue Cliff Records and uh, other books about it. In fact, back in those days, solving the koans in those books and gaining enlightenment was such a big, a big deal that a couple of men wrote a book that contained all the koans. And you know what they did? They provided answers. They, they provided answers to koans which of course is just the opposite of what a koan is supposed to be. There is no one answer to any one koan. Each of, us, each of us sees through the koan and finds our own answer. But those were the early days of our practice and we were learning and we were naive. We didn't know any better. So we wanted this experience that Zen called enlightenment. But I remember back in those days when I was just starting, neither Suzuki Roshi or Katagiri Roshi ever talked about enlightenment. I wondered why that was, since it seemed to be such a big deal in the practice. The literature said so, but they, they never talked about it. I remember once meeting with Katagiri Roshi and informally, and I said, so how come you never talk about enlightenment? And he said, and these are his own words, oh, don't you think so? <laughs> I first met with Suzuki Roshi for Dokusan after just a few months of practice, and I expected him to give me a koan to solve. And I look forward to solving it, to gaining enlightenment and having him approve. 
that's the kind of Zen student I was in those days. We sat facing each other in Haiku Zendo in the lotus posture, lotus posture, and I expected him to say something, um, but he said nothing. After a long silence, which started to become uncomfortable, he pointed to my crossed legs and said, you have good practice. That was all he said. And it was then I learned that our practice was not about achievement or solving a riddle or gaining approval. It was about the selfless attitude and determination that we bring to our practice. And it's about how we relate to each other. If we strive for anything in our practice, such as enlightenment or status or wealth or anything, if we strive for anything, we are putting our mind in a bucket. But like Chiono said, we have to give up this way and that way if we are to find the wisdom and the freedom that this practice offers us. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions? Well, I, I I couldn't hear if that was a question. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear very well. Um, can you hear me now, Les? Hey, Les, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. All right. So my question was, so if we're supposed to be letting go, how do we do that when social structures are trying to give us structure, trying to force us into a bucket? That's my question. Pay attention to whoever you're with in that social structure. Keep, keep your mind on, on, on the other. And when you when we notice that in a, a social structure or family or work or at the beach, if we notice uh, we're thinking about ourselves, we make an effort to stop that and turn our attention to the others. And then after a while, hmm, it becomes more or less natural, or you might say habitual, to always keep your awareness on the other. What are they doing? What are they saying? What are their gestures? What's their affect? And let your awareness allow, uh, let your awareness of them guide you in how you relate to them. But if we are pre-programmed, if our mind is conditioned to, oh, to think that uh, we know how to respond to this person without even listening, that's where the problem is.
So when, a, when another person is speaking, we stop our mind and just listen and pay attention. And this is our practice. And with continued practice and with patience, that way of life becomes very natural and very joyful. Thank you. Hi, Les. Can you hear yes. me? Oh, right. A little bit. Let me turn okay. up volume. Sure. Okay. Happy New Year. Yes, so Happy New Year. I can hear you now. Thank you. Great. Great. Um, please, please ignore my question. This is not question. It's just expression. Okay. Um, is letting go another bucket? <laughs> is letting go is another bucket? Oh, uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, if we're always thinking about how do, how do I do that? <laughs> right. How do I do that? How do I do that? Yeah. It's another bucket. Okay. Well, just let it break. Okay. Just you. Just keep going. Keep going. Yes. Keep your heart and your mind open. Thank you. Smash. <laughs> Smash. Thank you. Oh, hi, Dan. Hi, Les. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, I um, I really like the question of, from the gentleman earlier, um, and I really appreciate your response. I do want to dig just a little deeper with that because in some social situations, there can be a lot of pressure, and not only in you, but everyone around. And sometimes what you're hearing from people i mean i, I don't mean to ju be ju too judgmental but i'll just say it seems like mass delusion you're in a situation that has its own delusion going on and everyone's bought into it oh <laughs> and what you're saying is to step back from it and be with that one person or be with maybe many people who are experiencing a lot of suffering right in your face. <laughs> and that's a difficult situation to be in, you know, and still function in a way that may actually be productive, like in a work situation. It can be, it's, it's a very confusing situation for many people, I think. For many so I just, I'm just stating, yeah, what do you think about that? It's not just one-on-one, -on -one. it's it's 20 people in a room with this agreements that are really not very effective and confusing. Okay. Well, if you are in a meeting like that and you think everybody is buying into some delusion, don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. <laughs> and, uh, you just try to be creative in how to be with that 
that kind of discordant situation and try to get the most out of it and, and try to demonstrate the mind that you think that you feel this meeting should have without telling people, oh, why don't we all be like this? And they may say, oh, yeah, good idea, but then they don't. Yeah. Just demonstrate it. Just be who you think, who you believe you really are and who you believe everyone really is and just demonstrate it without criticizing or lecturing about it. That's not usual in uh, the everyday world, especially the political world, where we're always telling each other what to do and what to think, but we don't have to buy into it. You know, I, I, I think a lot about the political situation these days, about how one party is always criticizing the other party and back and forth and even making up stories that aren't true to cast a bad light on the other party. And rather than joining in on this side or that side, you know, rather than going this way or that way, you don't buy into any story and just be the truth without lecturing everybody about it. And well, uh, you know, back in Buddha's day, when he was a young man, there were, the the country was at war. Everybody was at war, but he didn't take sides. He just simply practiced. Even there was no chance of the war stopping because of his efforts. Today, you know, don't have to say it, all the wars and the tragedies and the, the cruelty that's going on all over the globe, we can't stop it. We just practice. We just live our life the way we feel it should be lived. We want to live authentically, like I, li I like to say. And if only one person is impressed by how we're doing it and modifies their position, that's, that's all we care about. We don't have to convert everybody. We can't. It's, it's going to go on. All this, what's happening today is going to go on all our lives and probably beyond. And we can't change it. But we can live our life the way we feel it should be lived according to who we really are. So every time I start to despair about what's going on here and there, and all the killing, needlessly. It's so upsetting and it's so disconcerting. But then I have to remember, just stick with doing what you know is the right way to live. That's the best, that's the best we can do. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, Teresa. Hi, Les. How are you? Okay. <laughs> Good. 
I wanted to say I really like when you talk about Suzuki Roshi because it's a way it's a way of uh, meeting him through you. So thank you. And uh, I have two questions. One is um, you met Suzuki Roshi for a very short period of time, and um, I wonder if if you could say anything about how he has guided you over the years because it seems that he you know that brief encounter had a very strong um, effect on you and he has been a presence despite not being uh, alive anymore and then the other thing i was wondering if you could tell a little bit more about what you said um, that we can be in close pro proximity but still be virtual if you could tell a little bit more about that. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I only knew Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi for about two years, a little more than two years. But in the last year of his life, 1970, he was sick with cancer. So I, I didn't see him at all, maybe once that during that year. So I really uh, knew him very little bit in, uh, in 1969, having started practice in November of 1968. I knew him for about one year, but those few occasions when I was with him, I, I was so impressed by his equanimity and his kindness and his caring and his sense of humor and his generosity mostly his equanimity. You know, in those days, the late 60s, in San Francisco Zen Center, there were a lot of very excited young people, people very excited about Zen practice and about marijuana and about other things, you know. There was a lot of turmoil around him. And yet he said, oh, Americans have the best spirit. The practice will grow here. <laughs> There was all these young people doing strange things. He was all, always saw the positive side and he always took care of things with care. And it was just his, his way, his quiet way that uh, impressed me. And your, your other question about being virtual. You know, when we are like this on Zoom, which is a good thing because um, I, I, I can no longer go to the Zendo in person and all of you are some distance away, so we can meet at least this way. And we can make the best of it. But when we have an opportunity to truly be with each other in each other's presence, we should do it and not be virtual whenever we can. And when we're with each other, we should be as honest and as clear as we can be and as unselfish as we can be. 
because if we, when we're with each other, if we're carrying around our life in a bucket and make believe that we're paying attention to the other person, it's we are being virtual, we're not being real. In thinking about this, this idea, I was reminded of the, the old Beatles song, something about, you're a real nowhere man. <laughs> was that, I don't know who wrote it, Paul McCartney or somebody, you're a real nowhere man. And I think that's a very good observation about how some people are walking around in life, but not really knowing who we are. So by, you know, we we become virtual when we just stay in the bucket. I think we become virtual to each other when we have a, a strong desire to capture the moonlight that's in the bucket rather than letting that reflection flood away and enjoying the true moonlight. If, if I were a poet, maybe I could express it a little better, but that's, that's the best I can do. Uh, so Les, so here's the question. Okay. So if you're always present and you're giving, how do you not get taken advantage of? Oh, we, we don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> let, let people take advantage of you. <laughs> <laughs> if you know if if you're invited to your friend's house for dinner or something like that and after dinner they say to you would you wash the dishes <laughs> just say okay wash wash the dishes that's all but it's a it, it's a very serious question because the world has become so politicized that people are trying to take advantage of each other. It's a serious question, I know. And when we feel that people are taking advantage of us, the first thing, if we have practice in our hearts, the first thing we know that we should do is not to try to take advantage of them. And if you explain that to your friend and your friend says, yes, but you, you will lose a political advantage if you're nice like that. You can say, well, but that's how I want to live my life. Good question. Thank you. Uh, Hernan has his hand up. Hernan, hello. How hey, are hi, you? Liz. 
Hi, Hi how, Lies, are how are you? I'm okay. How are you feeling? Uh, so, so, but better. Okay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Les, uh, one thing that called my attention in the story is that she got enlightened or she discovered things, not even trying. Uh, she didn't have to break the bucket. Probably, actually, she was trying to put the bucket together and the bucket broke without any plan. Do you think that that point is pointing us or is teaching us that instead of we trying to act on the world or act on things or try to control things to learn something or even having a, an effort to try to learn something, is it pointing that instead of that, we should just be as open as possible and as responsive as possible instead for the world to show us things? Or life to show us things. Life to th throw throw us things. No, show show us. Oh, show us. Reveal reveal us things oh, yeah. instead of we trying to discover them. Well, uh, this idea of discovery is is an important point. Uh, we we are not are in our practice. We don't make discoveries as if we were. Uh, conquering the western part of the United States in the 19th century, you know? Discovery, discovery. We just simply pay attention and the world will reveal itself to us. The truth will reveal itself to us if we simply pay attention and don't try to strive for making discoveries. It will happen. It will happen. And if in your life you make a hundred discoveries or you make one, it makes no difference. It's it's your it's the attitude you have towards your life and letting life show you its true nature. Thank you. Thank you, Les. This talk was brought to you by the Canando Zen Meditation Center in Mountain View, California. For more information or to support this podcast, go to canando.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G.